Catch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Steelers. We just had some breaking news in college football tonight with one of the star quarterbacks te- testing positive for COVID-19. Um, but yeah, once again, you know, great to be back here. Another week on the podcast. I'm here, I'm back again uh, with Jordan Leopold and Jack Weinberger. Jack and Jordan, how are you guys doing since last week? Oh, I'm doing great, Alex. Uh, nice little intro there. Uh, ready to get going here on, on week number two. And thanks to all the listeners last week. Hope you guys uh, tune in again to this one. How you doing, Jordan? I'm doing great. Excited to talk about the World Series and everything else we have on the agenda on this October 30th, 2020. Keep in mind, you can listen to us on Anchor.fm, on Spotify, on Apple Music, and pretty much anywhere. So, I'm excited. Let's let's dig into it. Sure. Uh, let's get into it, Jordan. So, I guess we'll start off with the World Series. Um, you know, another classic, you know, fall classic. We saw the Dodgers end up winning in six games. And I think Game Six, the the highlight of the story really was uh, Tampa Bay Rays ace Blake Snell getting pulled after only five and a third innings. He was dominant, only allowed about one or two hits. He um he had struck out nine batters for the second time in the series, and he was pulled by manager Kevin Cash after only seventy three pitches. You know, many you know skeptics on Twitter and online and elsewhere have questioned the move, saying Cash was being too analytical in his approach and he should have left. He should have left. Um, his ace in as he was dealing. Ultimately, it ended up costing the Rays as they gave up three more runs and lost the game. What do you guys think? Uh, you know, should have been done here. Do you think? Uh, do you think Snell should have stayed in the game? And I guess otherwise, what do you think the Rays could have done? You know, to to make this series you know more competitive. Well, if, if you look at analytics, I can understand where Cash is coming from. I disagree. I think you should leave your ace in. I mean, he's allowed. Well, that was his second hit. He's allowed. He was throwing a shutout against probably the best lineup in baseball. I, I, he's, he's, once again, he's, he's one of the best pitchers in the league. He was dealing. But you know what was interesting, guys, is, is Mookie Betts. He said that uh, Kevin Cash, he didn't, he didn't want Snell to face Betts, Seager, and maybe Turner back-to-back-to-back. Because to back to back. analytics says when a pitcher faces a lineup for a third time, he hasn't done well. And, you know, he allowed a hit. And Cash is looking like, all right, maybe this is third time in the lineup. Let me pull him. So in hindsight, it looks bad. I get where he's coming from. But in that game, Betts, Seager, and Turner, those three guys do up against Snell. We're 0-6 with 6Ks. So I, I, I do not think that it was the right move, pulling your ace after allowing one hit, no. So, yeah, I mean, as, as, I, as I just said, I, I think the decision – was wrong obviously in hindsight how can you not say now in hindsight that it was wrong to take out your ace but you look at who they brought in nick anderson who's been who's a a great reliever to say the least in the regular season 0.55 era a great whip like he was near unhittable and if tampa bay escapes that game that's all analytical but you can't blame kevin cash that taking the analytics and if tampa bay gets to a game seven and you can get away with, with winning game six with Blake Snell only throwing 70 pitches. Game seven, you got Charlie Morton, and then you can pitch Blake Snell again. So I think since the Dodgers won, it's being viewed as a very poor decision. 
Whereas if the Rays won, I think Kevin Cash would be praised for it. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Kevin Cash would have been praised had the situation had gone well. I know it's easy to wake up in hindsight and say, oh, that decision was wrong, but I wouldn't have done it despite the result. I think you had to play for a win for Game 6. It's win or go home. You have a top five pitcher on the planet at 73 pitches. You brought up a key stat with them. The, the top of the lineup was 0 for 6 with 6 strikeouts against Blake Snell leading up to that 6th inning. The whole, you know, the whole night he only gave up 2 hits. He was going on a shutout with 9 Ks. It was one of the most impressive performances of the postseason. And the thing is with him, he's, he's their guy. Okay, Tampa Bay doesn't have the star power or the big flashy names necessarily that the Dodgers have, but they have Blake Snell. 2018 Cy Young Award. That award means something. Blake Snell is a top five pitcher in baseball. And the fact that you take your guy out of a winner go-home game, I don't care what the analytics said. Pretend it was the Mets with Jacob DeGrom on the mound. I wouldn't take DeGrom out. He's your guy. He's your GOAT. You, you lean on him win or lose. So that's personally how I feel. I know analytics uh, said differently and they... I know the analytics said to take Snell out in place of Anderson, and no, I don't blame Anderson for uh, blowing the game. He was phenomenal the entire postseason. I don't think it was wrong on him. I don't think it was necessarily wrong on Cash. I just think overall, when you have your guy, you don't take him out. It would have been different if he were up over 100 pitches, but he was at 73, and I don't think Blake Snell could have gone Game 7. I think you feel confident having Charlie Morton pitching Game 7, having that entire bullpen well-rested, including Anderson, for that Game 7. Snell's season would have been done after Game 6. I personally would have kept him in, win or go home for Game 7. But congratulations to the Dodgers, and obviously no turning back. So. I'm in agreement with you. Obviously, I said before I they should have left him in uh, for sure. I don't think that Cash should be totally stomped on for making the decision that he made. He shouldn't be stomped on, but I think it was just the wrong decision. Even had it have worked out, you took your ace out in the sixth inning with 70 pitches in his last game of the season. What's the explanation for that? Yeah. Analytics? I, I, like, I like the point that you bring up when you say that every, every single game when you're down, when you're facing elimination – Every single game is a must-win. You play to win the game, you play it like a game seven. But you also can look at it maybe as a Madison Bumgarner situation. Whereas if you escape game six and Snell throws 70 pitches, he can pitch the last three innings of game seven and, and win it for you. Uh-huh. Jack, I, I think that's a great argument as well. And I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is, is that, and I don't know if this is, this is exactly the same situation, but it really reminded me, and I saw a lot on Twitter too of, the 2015 World Series when uh, Matt Harvey was taken out in the ninth inning, he was he was throwing A plus uh, shutout innings, and ter- and Terry Collins uh, took him out of the game for Terry's familiar, uh, obviously. Actually, ended up- Matt Harvey came out for the ninth inning, and then I believe he gave up one or two base runners. And yeah, then he, he did. He yeah. So what happened was, if my memory serves me correctly, he gave up a walk Correct. and then a double, and and in in hindsight, you know. All, all everyone was saying, oh, they should have taken him out, put familiar in, and closed out the game, get the two zero win. 
So I think this is this is very much the opposite of that situa- situation. But I think the the similarity is you know both both movies were kind of um, criticized, of course, after the fact, after the lead was blown. So and that's the thing about sports, like you know, sometimes you're gonna second guess yourself, but sometimes you also just gotta make you know gut decisions like that, you know, and just you know make a really quick whether it's analytical or not, just you know make a quick decision, you know, for the best of the team, and obviously. That's what Kevin Cash thought he was doing. Um, he's been there for five or six seasons or even more down in Tampa, and he's had a long track record of success. I don't think this will impact his future. I think Tampa will be a contender for years to come, both next year and beyond. And I don't think, you know, I don't think they uh, should have anything to worry about, even though they may be a small market club, you know. Actually, that leads me into my next point. Do you think had there been a Game 7, Tampa could have won? I mean, we saw what the star power of the Dodgers did. 11 different Los Angeles Dodgers homered this postseason. That's an all-time record. Justin Turner hit, I think, 12 career postseason homers, which actually passed the great Duke Snyder. And lastly, another bit of stats, uh, Corey Seager hit eight home runs this postseason. The Rays obviously couldn't threaten with a long ball the way Los Angeles did. But do you think there was any shot that could have won a Game 7? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once the series gets to seven games, it's anybody, any, anybody can win that game. It's, it's, it's do or die. And Jordan, you know just as well as I do, Charlie Morton is the best pitcher on the planet in Game 7. So, so of, of course, the Rays could have won Game 7. Um, so I was saying, so yeah, Jordan, I think, you know, I think, I think Tampa definitely could have won Game 7. But I think one of the big question marks would have been is when would the game have been played? As we all know by now, Justin Turner was removed from the game for testing positive for COVID-19 mid-game. Um, and based on past MLB protocols, as we saw with the St. Louis Cardinals and the Miami Marlin, Marlins, would the game have been postponed by a few days, maybe even a week or two? Imagine Game Seven was postponed until you know early mid-November, and then the game was not well, post- then played till then. You know that would have been his pitch count for Game Seven. He could have just yes. piggybacked off more. Yes, so, so so that's crazy. Yeah, so so imagine that. Imagine you know the game is pushed back by a week and a half, two weeks, and then you have Blake Snell pitching back-to-back games, you know, quote-unquote, um, you know, then then obviously it's anyone's ball game. But, of course, you know, we don't have to worry about that. And MLB really dodged a bullet there. I mean, people were really cr- criticizing, you know, Rob Manfred and the league for how they handled the situation, and then Justin Turner went back Turner on the field. Thinking? I think you're right, but... Oh, yeah, absolutely. He went on to absolutely. celebrate with his, I think it was, with his friends and with his teammates. Yeah, can't blame I think it, it, it was more so... It was more so celebrating with his team, you know, being in the moment of you you know, the victory. Look, you can't blame him for what he did. He wanted to celebrate a once-in-a-lifetime achievement with his, you know, his family and his teammates and something he's worked his entire life to achieve. However, it was very selfish. It was very stupid, and MLB is probably going to punish him for at some point. Uh, yeah, for sure. But like I said, not something we have to worry about. So something that is coming up in baseball is free agency. Uh, now that now that it, it, it now that it is officially the off season, free agency has begun. Um, the process will you know begin picking up in the coming weeks and months. Um, I think one big uh, thing to note about for our team, the Mets, is that um, Steve Cohen's bid is uh, is happening today um, among the owners, and I believe he needs twenty three out of the thirty owner approvals for it to go through. I mean, this could be a changing you know a real changing day in Mets history guys 
What do you think the Mets might do this offseason, you know, if they can, you know, spend you know, the big Mets bucks finally? have been waiting a long time to get Will Pond and Katz out of the organization, specifically Will Pond. Obviously, they're going to have some stake. I believe Will Pond's going to end with around 5% of the shares, but obviously Cohen would be majority owner. You find it interesting at all that uh, Bill de Blasio is trying to prevent the sale of the team? He's the only one. De Blasio is talking to Ralph yeah. didn't buy the Mets. None of the owners, none of the owners even. Chris, crazy, crazy. I think. But Bill De Blasio is trying to block it. You know what'll happen with the Mets? Yeah, they'll make some moves in the off season. People will be like, "Oh, the Mets. Maybe this could be the Mets year." Playoffs, 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 playoffs. The Mets will be decent. You know, the first couple months of the season, then they'll fall apart, miss the playoffs again. It's a reoccurring cycle. That's all there is to say. Yeah, that's under old. That's under old ownership. Jack, Jack, under Jack, Jack. old executives. Sandy, look, Sandy Alderson's back. Sandy Alderson is a great baseball mind. Obviously, some of the moves he made as general manager didn't completely completely work out. However, he's now been promoted to uh, president of baseball ops, which, if you guys don't know, is even higher than the GM. I think Brody's time in New York is done. There's going to be a new general manager. Sandy Alderson's a smart guy. I think he knows what he's doing. And I don't necessarily know if next year is going to be the, Met, <clears throat> the Mets' year. But look, they're not a team that needs to uh, needs to. Excuse me. Look, they're not a team that needs to sell off. These guys aren't. They're not a last place team. I know they were fairly close to it this year, but look at the Washington Nationals this year. They went from World Series champs to tied for last. So this is really just a crazed year. The Mets have the talent to compete. They just have to be smart this offseason. They have zero starting pitching. They need a catcher among a whole laundry list of things. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but my point is that there is enough talent on this roster where you'd be crazy to gut it. Yeah, you know the problem is you're going to be competing against Atlanta, who will be great for a while, and the Dodgers will be great for a while in the National League, who I don't think the Mets will be able to beat out anytime soon. Yeah, but then what do you what do you say to the other teams, even not in the division? I just saw Cincinnati. I, I, Cincinnati, I thought was going to sneak into the CS this year. Obviously, they didn't. But what do you tell other teams? Don't go for it because of the big fish. What do you think Washington did last year as the second wild card team? The Mets is the same story. We've seen it in the past. We know what's going to happen. We know what it's going to be. And there's no point in talking about it. So sorry, I just have to make a quick comment here. I've been listening this whole time. Jack, I respect you. But you're saying this as a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. Your team just had your team just had the worst record in the league. Fully aware that the Pirates are probably the worst team in the MLB. I'm just saying the Mets are the most disappointing yeah, I, 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 I don't disagree with you, you there, Garrett so I, I'll Cole give you that. You turned him into what, Joe Musgrove? <laughs> you turned Glass now into Chris Archer? Come on. Charlie Morton was a bum, and now he's, he's you know, Game 7, the, the greatest Game 7 pitcher ever. Irish defense with the Archer deal. He was, he's, he's mid-20s, he was an, all, he was an all-star, he was a good pitcher. Look, I thought Archer was a solid two or three, but they they thought he was an ace. The Pittsburgh Pirates are the farm system of baseball. They really are. They're the farm system for every team but the Pirates. We gotta get off this we gotta get off yeah. this topic, ASAP, because once our listeners hear about us talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates for more than thirty seconds, they're tuning off. So <laughs> yes, the Pirates are bad. I think the Mets are disappointing, and I'll leave it at that.
That's a fair point. Okay. Yeah, I th- I, Jack, I think that's a good point. I think we should transition our, you know, conversation into good teams like the Mets, um, but more so, you know, like our conversation about the Dodgers and that, you know, amazing World Series against Tampa Bay. I think there's one more point we should address for this, for this postseason. Randy Arozarena set a postseason record of 10 home runs that a number of players held. I believe Carlos Beltran was one of those players at 8. Arozarena hit 10. He's now first all-time in a single postseason for homers, hits, extra base hits, total bases, and runs. Randy Arozarena, if I, if I mention that name, you know, a year from today, nobody would know who that is. The St. Louis Cardinals must must be kicking themselves. He was, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals actually traded a Rosarena a year ago for Jose Martinez, their first baseman. Obviously, you know, the power hitting Martinez, he's a good player. But what do you think they gave up in a Rosarena? I know it's a small sample size, but he really had arguably the best offensive postseason in history. I mean, Alex touched on it before that we will see Tampa for a, a long time making deep postseason runs. I mean, they're fine. You lost game six this year, but they'll be back countless, countless, countless amount of times in the American League. They'll be one of the powerhouses for a while. And we're watching a rising star in front of our eyes. I know it's a small sample size, but I think this is enough to know that he is going to be a superstar. And there are some deals, and I guess this, like, I'll talk about the Cardinals in, in their sake now. You kick yourself over some deals and some deals pan out. And obviously this one for the Cardinals they're kicking themselves because this guy is a is going to be a superstar. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you there, Jack. Uh, I think one thing we got to do say, though, about small sample sizes in the postseason. Again, another Mets reference here, but this really re- this really reminded me of Daniel Murphy for the 2015 Mets when he had, I think, what, six or seven home runs in the postseason, six games in a row. Even though Murphy was more established before the postseason than a, than a Rosarena was, than a Rosarena was, he kind of fell off in the World Series, and then he signed a big deal with the Nationals. And he's definitely still a good player, but he's you know nowhere near you know the I guess level of productivity he was with the Mets in the, that two game series. That being said, and um, I know I'm sure Jordan will want to touch on that in a bit. That being said, I think Arozarena, and I predicted this if you guys remember in episode one, I predicted that he would win the MVP of the series. Obviously, you know the Tampa loss, and he didn't win. Arosa Reina, he put up arguably the best numbers in the series. Obviously, Tampa lost, but with three home runs in the series, just you know to kind of put an exclamation point on his dominance. If Tampa Bay won, I think he would have been the runaway MVP. Obviously, again, it would have depended on what happened in Game Seven. But yeah, like both of you guys said, he's going to be a rising star in the league. Interesting enough, he's actually eligible for the Rookie of the Year award next year, based on his service time this year. I guess he did not get enough plate appearances to qualify as a first season rookie. So wouldn't that be interesting if the the MVP of the 2020 playoffs comes back in 2021 in a full season and wins Rookie of the Year? That, that'd be quite a storyline. He could arguably become the first player since Ichiro to win Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season. Now, Jordan, don't get your head of yourself. I know, I know, I know he had a good series, but MV, MV, MVP, that's a far I shot. Mean, look, who he reminds me of, and I'm talking to Jack specifically, a Rosarania seems like a young Andrew McCutcheon in my eyes. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Like, if you look at, you know, speed, agility, power, like all those variables, I really think of Andrew McCutcheon. And it's awesome to see a guy like a Rosarania and like McCutcheon was on such a small market team. Kind of reminds me of, of Moneyball. You know, with the Oakland A's and Billy Bean and all that. 
And if Arozarena, we saw what, what McCutcheon did in Pittsburgh. When he was there, Pittsburgh was a playoff team most years he was there. I mean, he was an MVP. And if Arozarena stays in Tampa Bay and can do, you know, what we saw him do throughout this postseason, if he can keep it up, which I think he will, Tampa Bay is going to be around for the long, long, long time. Absolutely, Jack. And uh, I think that really just reminded me of, you know, some of those pirate teams from, you know, 2013 to 2015-ish when even though they didn't really dominate much in the playoffs, that was those were really fun teams with Jose Tabata and Andrew McCutcheon, Garrett Cole, you know, one of the premier powerhouses of the National League. I know in 2015 when they won 97 games, you know, and if they were in any other division, they would have probably probably won the pennant, but they really got unlucky there with, you know, facing St. Louis. Yeah, they were a 90-plus win team for years, and Tampa Bay should be too. Uh, but off the Pirates talk again, guys. We, we can't talk about the Pirates anymore. <laughs> exactly. Look, I'm not ready to dub a Rosarena uh, the next superstar. I do think it was a small sample size, but if you look at what he've accom- what he's accomplished, I really think he can be one of those next special players in baseball that we'll be talking about, like a Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, one of those those next young studs. Yeah, he looks he looks very special. I can think we can all agree on that. But uh, guys, before we get off the World Series and baseball topics here and go to football, what do you guys think of uh, the rule changes that took place this year? Do you think that they should be that they should stick around in 2021, or do you think they should be abolished? Well, interesting enough, Rob Manfred was asked about the rule changes, and obviously he liked all of them. They're his changes. However, if you would pull fans and players, which I don't think they have yet, I would say that most would abolish the rule changes. I believe the DH, since it's already made its appearance in the National League, isn't going anywhere at this point. I know that under you know this year's collective bargaining agreement, they have to negotiate new rules, and these changes are technically only for this year. But I think the DH will return. Actually, Todd Frazier was asked about the DH, and he says he likes it and it should stay in baseball. So if I had to make predictions right now, I'm going to say the designated hitter stays. That run around second base in extra innings, you got to get it out of here. I don't know what the hell that is. Get it out. Please. It's killing me. I know I'm considered what people call you know a baseball purist or whatever, but you have to get get it out. It's garbage. Get, get it out. It's blasphemous. Jordan, I totally, Jordan, I totally agree with you there. I think the runner on second, even though it accomplished what MLB wanted to do in speeding up games, I think I read a stat that the longest game, regular season game this season was only 13 innings compared to a normal season. You'd probably see a game that goes, you know, 18 plus innings. That being said, actually, I'm going to take a counter approach here. I think the DH will be eliminated once again from the National League. Excuse me. I think a big part of the reason the DH was implemented in the National League was was to avoid having p- pitchers to hit. Now, now, assuming there's a normal 162-game season next year, I think there will be no problem with you know pitchers going back to their, to their role as batters. And I think one of the big things is because it's been such a tra- tradition in the National League, I just don't think they're going to get rid of it that quickly. I like it as a, a one-year kind of test, testing phase out, you know, experiment period, and maybe the DH will kind of come around in the league in the next few years. But I think MLB will want to do as much as possible, especially after a crazy, crazy year, to get the league back to as close to normal as you know possible in 21. Um, so I think the DH will be gone 
front on second will be gone. And then one other rule I actually just want to talk about. This rule was actually implemented even before anything with COVID, uh, before the pandemic, was the three batter minimum, minimum um, for pitchers. Um, I was totally against that. This is back in like January and February. Um, so I really don't think, I mean, I think that rule will stick because that didn't really appear to have much criticism. But I think for the most part, the new, you know, 2020 rules are going to, um, they're going to be phased out. It's a one-year experiment, crazy season. And hopefully, you know, baseball will be back as we know it, you know. All right, look, Alex, to go off your point, I wouldn't say that they rushed to, uh, to implement the DH. You know, the American League has had designated hitters since, I think, 1973 with uh, Bloomberg in it. So this isn't, a, this isn't exactly something that's rushed. It's 2020. You know, certain people have been wanting this for a very long time. I'm personally against it. Nobody, nobody is going to miss Bartolo Colon hitting more than I will. Nobody is going to miss seeing, you know, Noah Syndergaard and Madison Bumgarner hitting balls 500 feet more than me. But unfortunately, I think the DH has finally made its appearance, and it's just not going to go anywhere. When it comes to these rule changes, the three batter minimum is not going to, it's not going to leave. I don't like it, but it's here, and you know, I'll deal with it. They make these small rule changes over the years, but just get the guy off second base for crying out loud. Just get it out, please. That's the only thing I ask. You know what I think they should do? I think every single inning, people love to watch sports and people love scoring and action. I think that every single inning going forward, they should load the bases to start the inning. Now, how fun would that be? Oh, Manfred would love it. Oh, my God. How great would that be, right? Am I right? Jack, I think one thing that would be interesting, and this is—I don't think this would ever actually happen in baseball, but kind of similar to what they have in the, 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 the kind of similar to what they have in hockey nowadays with the shootout. Imagine having kind of a home run derby, you know, to close out extra inning games. You're sending out Pete Alonso against Aaron Judge in the Subway Series, you know, for 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 a three a three at bat showdown. You know, imagine imagine the views that that would take. Anything in. that's stupid, Manfred would love. You know Rob Manfred was booed when he presented Corey Seager with the MVP trophy? Anything that's outrageous and stupid, Manfred would approve. So I suggest giving him that idea. Honestly, why not? Why not? Just just make up a new game. I'm for it. I, th I think the one thing that does have to be acknowledged, though, Jordan, although we may not agree with all these rule changes... Baseball is still an evolving sport, and it's not going to be the same way it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, just like any sport. So I think within, like any sport, there's going to be some rules that we have to adjust to, and others we may never like. Um, but I guess you can really say that about any sport. But I think baseball especially because it's a game that goes back 150 years, really, and there are rules that have been in place for uh, for so long. So I think kind of phasing out those rules is is really tough for many people to see, especially as you phrased it before, someone like yourself who is a baseball purist. All right, I got one more baseball point just before we move on to some football here. Now, with the 2020 season coming to an end, you know we got to talk about 21. If you had to pick two teams to be in the 2021 World Series, what are your predictions? Well, it's I don't want to be that guy who says it's going to be a rematch. Most likely it will be, but I'm not going to be that guy. So I'm going to go with the Atlanta Braves versus the Yankees. Okay, Alex, how about you? And 
I haven't really put much thought into this, given that the season just ended this week. But if I had to make a prediction, I would have to go with San Diego. I just think they're really, you know, young. young uh, San Diego, I think they have a really young nucleus of a team led by, led by you know, Hosmer, Tatis, and, uh, and Will Myers. And originally I was thinking the Chicago White Sox, but interesting move hiring Tony La Russa, which, you know, we could discuss about another time. So I, I don't think, you know, that will send them over the top. But... Hmm. So many, you know, so many quality teams in the AL this season. I think, you know, who's going to get there? I think, I think this might might finally be the year of the Oakland A's. You know, a West Coast showdown, San Diego, Oakland. Again, not not a you know not a marketable matchup per se, but um, you know that's my pick, and you know we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, look. By the way, I just want to point out that I was right. If you go back to episode one, I said Dodgers in six. So I'm going to pat myself on the back there. I'm going to point that out. I was going to congratulate you for that. I remembered you, you did say that. I said Dodgers in five. We were, all real, we were all pretty close, guys. I mean, Alex had Rays in seven. I said Dodgers in five, and Jordan nailed it on the head. Look, somebody was going to win in either four, five, six, or seven. So I guess anything could have been close. You're right. You're right. But uh, anyways... It's kind of hard to pick one team. I know I have two teams from each league that I kind of want to insert into the World Series. Um, two, two of the teams that I thought were going to do some damage this year were, as Alex mentioned, the Chicago White Sox. And another sleeper that nobody talks about is the Minnesota Twins. I know the Yankees give them problems every year, but I really think Minnesota is finally going to make some noise. I'm thinking maybe the Chicago White Sox, honestly. And Tony Larusa, by the way, is 76 years old. This is his second stint with the White Sox. You know he's a member of the Cooperstown Hall of Fame? How many active coaches and managers are in Cooperstown? I don't know if that's ever happened before. Jordan, Jordan, that that's just a crazy hire. And I was just doing some reading today about the hire, and I read that I think one of the reasons he was brought back uh, to the White Sox was that um, originally when he was manager back uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, he had a rocky relationship with team owner Jerry Reinsdorf. Um, and I think part of the move here was to kind of repair that relationship and, you know, bring bring uh, La Russa back to, the team, back to the team on kind of a high note. That's That could all be speculation, but that could be a reason, you know, 30, that could be a reason 30 years in the making. I mean, yeah, who knows? But I think La Russa... Look, you have a you have one of the greatest managers in history. I think he's the third winningest manager in baseball ever. And to put him with that young nucleus of White Sox players, especially Giolito. Giolito is special. I think he's a dark horse Cy Young pick. I'm not going to sit here and just harp on the White Sox this whole time, but they're talented. I think the White Sox in the American League, National League, look, Dustin May, Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw, three-headed monster. I know the Braves are good, but... The Dodgers, man, they're, the Dodgers are crazy. And Mookie's got another 11 or 12 years left on the deal. I'm going to say right now, White Sox-Dodgers. It would be cool to see the, the White Sox do something, maybe get some fans back in, the, back in the stadium. I mean, the Cubs have really taken away their fans this last you know, however many years. I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, Jack, I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but have the White Sox ever had a more – I guess more devoted fan base or more recognized fan base than the Cubs. No, no. But I, I, I think that if, if the White Sox start to show us something, maybe maybe fill the stadium a little bit more. 
I think the White Sox are one of the most exciting teams. They're arguably more exciting than the Cubs. I know the Cubs obviously have, you know, Brian and Rizzo and that whole core still. But Chicago, the White Sox are budding over there. I really would not discount them. I think the problem is the Cubs just have more fans. That's the issue. Like they're the Cubs. They I, I think also in, They've been there, you know, forever. So, I I think also just going to quick another you know last quick point before we move on to football, people make a big deal you know when the Cubs snapped their 108 year drought, a big deal when the Red Sox broke broke their curse 86 years, no one said anything when the White Sox ended an 88 year World Series drought in 2005. I think that really just goes to show how how overshadowed that team is by the Cubs and by the rest of the league, to be to be quite frank. Um, but, yeah, so I think our prediction, so I have Oakland against San Diego. Jack has uh, – Jack, what was your pick again? Atlanta Yanks. And then, Jordan, what was your pick? White Sox, Dodgers. Uh, well, guys, we've spent time talking about the Pirates, Mets, and Padres a little too much, so I, I think it's time to uh, head over to football. So, yeah, so you know, I think that was a great discussion about baseball. We'll leave it out our world. We'll leave it out our World Series picks, and I guess we'll check back in in about a year from now. Um, but moving on to football, um, another you know re- another really crazy week last week. Um, you know, I think one of the most notable games was the Sunday Night Classic between Seattle and Arizona. NFC West is you know really shaping up to be easily the best best division in football this year, and I think with the addition of an extra wild card team in each conference, could we maybe be seeing? the first season in NFL history in which all four teams in the, in the division make the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to touch on this past week. This past week, week seven of 2020, was the best week of football where I felt like every single game went right down to the wire that, I, that I've ever seen. And you had, this, you had Steelers-Titans uh, game-time 45-yard field goal attempt. You had Lions-Falcons come down to the final couple seconds. You had, like you said, the, the Cardinals and Seahawks in overtime. Actually, actually, uh, live bet the Cardinals down uh, fourteen or twenty-one, or twenty to seven. Twenty-one, 21 ten. 10, yeah, twenty-one ten, and uh, once a nice little dough. I had a feeling. I had a feeling Kyler, that explosive offense, would get the job done, and then they did. Actually, Alex, I just want to correct you on something. I I would say the NFC East, though. What about those guys? They have to be the best division in football. You know, they now have seven combined wins. I'm logging. I, I, I'm logging out. Of, I'm logging out of the podcast. We talk about the NFC East. Jordan, Jordan, just two things here. I think we're really continuing on this theme of talking about mediocre teams. We're going from the Pirates to the NFC East. You know, what, what's the Look, deal here? Mets, Jets, um, that Knicks, being... Pirates, whatever. The, we we don't like good teams. I'm so used to it. That, anyway, Jordan. That, Jordan. That being said, I think, and I know you mentioned this uh, in episode one, the NFC East, ironically enough, is the most competitive division in football. I mean, between first and last place, they're separated by what a game and a half. You have a team like the Giants in Washington, who could easily end up with a number one or number two pick. They could also easily win the division. I, I know. I think Philadelphia. Anyway, Jordan. I don't want to touch on this for too long because we all know how disastrous the NFC East is. That being said. If I had to make a prediction, I think Washington's going to come out on top. I feel like Philadelphia, Philadelphia is the clear favorite there, but they have done nothing to impress me. So it's kind of, it's, it's really a toss-up here. I like Washington. Anyway, I think we're better moving on to some uh, uh, more important matchups in football. Um, one of the biggest match- matchups in the NFL this week is between AFC North rivals, the Steelers and the Ravens. Uh, it's a showdown of uh, one undefeated team and one team with only one loss. 
could be the game of the year. You know, it really should be in prime time. Jack, I'm going to refer to you here as the resident Steeler fan. What are your thoughts on this game? You know, who's going to win and how do you think this game can affect both, you know, the courses of their respective seasons and also the course of the AFC as a whole? Well, I mean, obviously, this, this game's huge, Alex. The winner of this game uh, will be in first place in the AFC North, will be currently the number one seed in the AFC. And we saw last year the one time that Pittsburgh faced Lamar Jackson. I know, I know Lamar Jackson's obviously a lot better now than he was halfway through last season. But the one time that Pittsburgh faced Lamar Jackson, Lamar had three picks, he fumbled, he only had 160 yards, and the game went to overtime. The Steelers ended up losing by a field goal in overtime. But Big Ben wasn't in that game. He was hurt all of last season. It was Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges who took Lamar to overtime. And now this is the first time that Big Ben is playing Lamar Jackson head-to-head. This is the Steelers' offense that has 25 points or more in every game so far this season. And this is a Pittsburgh team, too, where one of the only teams in the NFL, maybe the only team in the NFL, who they can rush four guys and get pressure. They can drop their linebackers. They can make Lamar beat them with his arm. They're not going to let Lamar beat him with his legs. And if Pittsburgh can even have half of the success as they had against Lamar last year, Big Ben and the offense will do enough to get the job done and leave Baltimore with the win. I know Baltimore did just have a bye. You know, they're tough with the week of rest. But, you know, unbiasedly, I'm, I'm taking Pittsburgh to win this game. I think they're the better team. Jack, I, I, th- I agree with you. I think Baltimore, uh, I think Baltimore is going to be the favorite here, or at least, you know, among, among experts. But I think Pittsburgh is going to keep their undefeated season rolling. Uh, I think Pittsburgh, you know, really should be the favorite to make the Super Bowl out of the AFC this season. I know Kansas City and Baltimore are kind of the two heavyweights there, but Pittsburgh, man, they've really impressed me all year, and it's just amazing, you know, just to to kind of sidetrack for a second, but it's amazing how consistent they've been. I mean, I can't tell you the last, you know, the the last under 500, the last bad season the Steelers had, you know, since their, you know, 2006 Super Bowl win. They're, they've got to be... One, one of, if not the most, you know, consistent franchise in the National Football well, look, League. I mean, you talk about AFC powerhouses right now. You say Baltimore and Kansas City, Alex, but you you got to throw Pittsburgh in there right now. They're, they're debatably better than those two teams. they got the best defense in football. You've got an offense now with Big Ben who's, who's put up 25-plus, like I just said, week by week. And if Big Ben continues to play just decent, and he's, play, he's excelled, but if he just plays, you know, continues to play decent, this defense can beat anybody. Any, anyway, Jack, I think, you know, while we're we're doing all this talk about the AFC, I think one of the premier teams that can make it out of the NFC to face Pittsburgh in the Super Bowl is Tampa Bay. You know, as we know by now, Antonio Brown just signed a one-year deal there. And we all know his story, you know, going from Pittsburgh to Oakland to New England for a day. How do you think Brown's going to fare with uh, Tampa Bay? Do you think him and Brady are going to reconnect to form a solid quarterback wide well, receiver look, Bruce duo? Bruce Arians just said, if Antonio Brown wants to stay on this team, he can't complain about not getting a lot of targets if, God forbid, he doesn't. You, you, you saw Mike Evans, who's a star receiver. He didn't catch his first ball until the fourth quarter last game. He, you know, all he cared about was the fact that Bucks won by 20 points. You know, same thing with Chris Godwin. These guys, Tom Brady likes to spread the wealth, even you know, to, to Scotty Miller. He spreads the wealth to everybody. He gives the ball to Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette as well. Everybody touches the ball in this offense. And if Antonio Brown can accept that and accept the fact, you know, he might only catch three or four balls a game, but if he does enough where the Bucs can, can win and he can be a team player, yeah, he'll be fine. He'll be great. 
But if Antonio Brown throws hissy fits about not getting the ball, like what you've seen him do in the past, he's not, a, he's not going to be a good fit. But yeah, like you said, I mean, yeah, the Buccaneers, the talent is, is extreme. And to me, they're the favorite right now in the NFC to go to the Super Bowl. I'd probably say it'll be Bucks steelers as of right now. Hey, guys, this might be a little bit off off track here, but kind of asking for Jack, being a Steelers fan, what do you think of the uh, end of the Le'Veon Bell era in New York? I think it was about time for him to get the hell out of New York. What do you think of the contract in the first place? I mean, as even as a Jet fan, I didn't like the contract to begin with. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell's a big name, but... You know better than anybody else. Oh, the, the, there was it, he was Le'Veon Bell was was worth the money to any team that he wants to play on, and it's a shame that the Jets have a terrible offensive line and, and a terrible weapons around him, and they're a terrible team. And Le'Veon Bell really couldn't excel there. But a team like the Chiefs, if he gets the ball enough, he's going to excel. I mean, he's great. He was a two thousand yard producer in Pittsburgh every single year. Jack, I, I think uh, I just want to re- re- Jack. I just want to revisit a point that you made in episode one, in which we were discussing the Chiefs Jets game, and you were saying how Le'Veon Bell is gonna go off against the Jets, and now that he's you know signed with Kansas City, I think he's bound to have at least you know a hundred yards and maybe a touchdown or two. He, he's gonna be seeking revenge on the Jets. Chiefs are gonna win by at least you know twenty or twenty five, and. I think Bell is, you know, bound for a phenomenal Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I'm sorry to any fantasy owners who took him in the first round, is going to take a backseat in this game. Uh, yeah, Bell will touch the ball 20 to 25 times. He'll have well over 100 yards, and he'll show everybody that he still, he still got it. This is the week he'll show that he's still got it, and he belongs on a team like the Chiefs. And, yeah, I mean, he's great. For sure. And Jack, um, I just also just want to revisit another uh, quick point from episode one in which we were discussing the, the betting spread for this game. Uh, I think you had predicted somewhere around 13 and a half. I guess around 20 and a half. Turns out I think the line is around 19 and a half. Um, so now that we know what the line is, do you think Kansas City will cover one of the uh, one of the largest point spreads the NFL has probably seen in a few years? They'll have that point spread covered at halftime. Three touchdowns. Absolutely. I have to agree with you there. I think this is going to be the type of game where it's like, you know, 43 to 6. Jets get a field goal or two if they're lucky. I actually read a quote that was tweeted out by, uh, I forgot if it was either ESPN or Sports Center, and one of the Kansas City players said, we don't, we don't want to take the Jets lightly just because, you know, they're 0-7. And I think, I'm thinking to myself, I know that they're both NFL teams, but this has got to be one of the biggest mismatch, mismatches in NFL in the last, you know, 10 years. Jets money line. Jets money line, uh, Jack, Jack, uh, Jack. Next Dinner's week, on me. We're gonna, we're gonna, Jack. Next week, we're next week. We're gonna, we're gonna check the score of a Kansas City Jets game, and we'll see if Jets money line, uh, came true or not. That's unfortunate. And again, I don't want to talk about the Jets too long, but you have you have a team that can't score against a team who is probably the the best offense in the league, maybe second best offense in the league behind Seattle. A team that's going to score 50 versus a team who can't score. And you also have a player who's out to get revenge. I mean, this is going to be, I don't know, around our area, it's on national TV. But this is going to be so, so, so embarrassing. And I might take the money line on that. Jack. <laughs> you go right ahead and do that, Jordan. If, if do, do you guys know the money line for this game? At least as of, as of you know, this hour, the money line 
is, I believe, minus 2,000, which means for those who are not you know, tuned to betting out there, that means to win just $100, you have to put down $2,000. Like, granted, Kansas City will probably win, but that's a lot of money to put up for, you know, considering the amount you're getting back. You know, guys, I, I, have, I have no doubt that the, we're going to move on in a second here to another game, but I have no doubt that the Chiefs cover this 19 and a half is three touchdowns. I think, like I said, in the first half, they'll have that covered. I mean, the Jets, Michael Pirine's your running back. He's, he's, he's shown promise, but a young rookie, a young rookie from Florida. I, I believe Sam Darnold's back this week, but off an injury. Uh, no defense, banged up. Uh, go, uh, once again, going to be brutal. I, an interesting team I want to talk about, though, guys, is um, a team that's 5-2. and two. Again, AFC North, we talk about the Steelers and the Ravens. But it's it's the Browns and a team that that you know, just put up their fifth win against the Bengals this past week. But the the downfall with them is the two teams that they've played who are good so far they've gotten pasted by. And now there's no Odell Beckham for the year. Hey guys, speaking of Odell, real quick, I know he just tore his ACL, but uh, you mentioned the Cleveland Browns. Is that why they're called the Browns? That's very possible, Jordan. I mean, I would not, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past. Uh, I wouldn't put it past that. Now you bring up a good point. We heard what Odell had to say last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, possibly. Any, anyway, 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 moving on. I'll, I'll ask you first, and Jordan, you can piggyback off whatever Alex has to say. They, they seem sure. right now like a team who who beats who they should be and lose who they should lose to. I mean, they played Pittsburgh and Baltimore and got absolutely creamed by both of them. But you, you beat Indianapolis, you beat Cincinnati twice, teams that you should beat. Are you guys sold on the Browns as a potential wild card playoff team? Can the North get three teams in, or are the Browns a fraud? Alex, what, what? sure, sure, yeah. So I mean, I think you made really great points about points about you know the Browns have played very well or pretty well this season. Yeah, Jack. You know, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Browns schedule and. They they really have a mix of games against either powerhouses such as you know Tennessee and Baltimore, but they also have games against really poor teams like Jacksonville, Philadelphia, and Houston. I think if they can pick up those three games against you know, um, from weeks ten to twelve, they also have two games against the Jets and Giants. Winning those five games alone will get them to ten wins. Plus you know you have a toss up game against you know uh against Las Vegas this week. I think Cleveland will ultimately make the playoffs this year. I don't see them really advancing deep into the playoffs. I just think they're a young team. You know, Baker Mayfield, while he's de- he's definitely progressing as a quarterback, I don't think he's at the level at the level yet to take the Browns into you know into deep into the playoffs. But I think the Browns will you know snap their playoff drought. They actually have not been to the playoffs since two thousand two. So this will be a big season um, for those loyal Cleveland Browns fans. And hey, you gotta embrace it. You know, even though they're might be no one in attendance at the games. This will be a big season uh, for the Browns. And, I mean, I guess once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. Um, but you heard it here first. Browns are going to go, let's say, they're going to go 10-6, and six, um, but losing the wild card. You know, just to piggyback off what Alex said, I'm going to agree with you there. I'm not going to say this isn't a postseason team. I think it's a pretty good roster, and it can compete in the postseason. That being said, they do not have the firepower to put up against to put up a fight against Baltimore, and I think their season is going to end. No, look, they, they they wouldn't they wouldn't beat Baltimore, wouldn't beat Pittsburgh, wouldn't beat Kansas City, wouldn't probably wouldn't beat Buffalo. No, 
but they're, they're not in the same class I mean, as those yeah. teams. I think they can sneak into the postseason, but they're not going to make any noise. If they continue to beat teams they should beat and lose the teams they should lose to, it's going to be cool to see Cleveland in the postseason for first time in God knows when. I mean, and Jack, I think one point, one point that you brought up earlier, which should really be addressed, is yeah, Cleveland has a five and two record, but you look at those two losses to Pittsburgh and Baltimore, in which they got absolutely annihilated. I think that's, yeah, exactly. You mentioned it before. I think that's extremely telling. I'm looking at their schedule now. They lost thirty eight to six to Baltimore, thirty eight to seven to Pittsburgh. Not even in competition. In their, however, in their few wins, they've they've had a dominant offense scoring. 30 points, actually, in each of their wins. So it's really been a tale of two seasons for the Browns. And their two losses, they, they've looked like the Jets. And their, in their you know, four or five wins, they've looked like one of the most unstoppable offenses of all time. So this will be a really interesting team to monitor down the stretch. Um, but you heard my prediction. I just think, you know, with five very, very winnable games, or at least four winnable games, they should um, have enough, you know, enough momentum, or rather enough wins, you know, Especially with the, especially with that momentum from the Jets and Giants games in weeks fifteen and sixteen. Look, to roll granted, into the two of those wins are against the Bengals, who are up and coming but still not that good. Now there's no Absolutely. Odell Beckham Jr., but some might say that that actually benefits the Browns. Baker Mayfield looked a lot more comfortable in those final minutes against the Bengals. Or no, sorry, those final quarters, final three quarters against the Bengals without Odell on the field. He was sitting Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples Jones. He looked comfortable in the pocket without Odell Beckham Jr. there, which is, which is a thing to keep an eye on moving forward, is do the Browns perform better with no Odell Beckham Jr. on the field? That'll, that, again, Jack, that'll be a really interesting storyline. We'll see if Baker, Baker Mayfield can adjust uh, to his new weapons out on the field. Actually, one other team I just want to uh, talk about quickly, um, you know, while we're on the NFL and talk, talking about, you know, keeping on the same theme of teams that may be overlooked, my Detroit Lions, I feel like they don't get enough media attention, so why don't we talk about them now? What a win last week, guys. Wow. You know, that was a classic Matthew Stafford comfort behind victory. And in the unlikeliest of fashions, you know, as we know by now, Todd Gurley scored a touchdown when he really should have just, you know, kneeled the ball and they could have settled for, you know, a, a short field goal. Anyway, you, you give Stafford the ball back, no timeouts, doesn't matter, 75 yards down the field. What do you say Matthew Stafford even though the Lions haven't had much success lately, is one of the most, you know, the best. Is it, would you say Matthew Stafford is one of the best performing fourth quarter quarterbacks? You know that we, that we've no. seen in the NFL. No, I know. I, I fourth quarter fourth quarter quarterbacks. I'm not going to deny that Matthew Stafford turns into Tom Brady. He's one of the best fourth quarterbacks of all time. But this is less of a Matthew Stafford classic fourth quarter comeback as it is of an, a typical Atlanta Falcons choke. Typical Atlanta Falcons. And again, I, I, don't, I don't fault Todd Gurley. I actually agree with what Todd Gurley did by scoring a touchdown because I'd rather put the pressure on my defense to try to stop a team with no timeouts and march the whole length of the field than risk a missed field goal, you know, risk a bad, risk a, uh, a bad snap, risk a block. To blow a 22-16 lead, meaning a team has to go the length of the field with no timeouts and score a touchdown, it's just so, so, so putrid. And that's all in the Atlanta's defense. If Todd Gurley is faulted once, that's criminal. I don't blame him. Uh, going back to your point, yeah, Stafford's a great fourth-quarter quarterback, but uh, this is more of just a typical what we've seen from Atlanta in the past as well. 
I mean, yeah, yeah, Jack, we've we've seen this, you know, all season with the Falcons. It started in, I think it was week one or two. They had a you know big twenty plus point lead against Dallas, and they ended up losing forty to thirty nine. You know, you see all these jokes about how the Falcons are blowing all these leads, and it really kind of started, you know, three four years ago, uh, during their during their Super Bowl against the Patriots. Obviously, when they infamously blew a twenty eight to three lead. Actually, speaking of the Falcons, um, they're actually playing. You know, as we speak, they're currently playing on. Thursday night football, um, and currently they're beating the Carolina Panthers sixteen to fourteen. This was a game, you know, I had Carolina winning, um, and it's actually it's halftime now. So, uh, you heard me here first. Right now it's sixteen to fourteen Atlanta at halftime. I guarantee that Carolina will come back and win this game. As Jack said, a classic Atlanta Falcons loss. You know, blowing the lead lead. If football was three quarters, Atlanta's the greatest team in the history of the league. It's a shame that oh, it's, that it happens to be four quarters, and Atlanta has to make some sort of adjustments. I don't know what they might be, but they got to make some adjustments in the final minutes of games. Cool. So, just a couple other you know NFL points I want to make before we can you know, move on to some college football discussion. Is I started out our NFL discussion today talking about the NFC West, a really loaded division. I feel like any team there, it's still early in the season, can come out on top. Um, out of you know the four teams out west in the NFC, which one do you think will ultimately end up winning that division? Um, I think you know. Do you want me to start this one out here? Uh, I I can I can give my take and then I I'll come back to you. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I mean, this is one of the best divisions we've seen in a while. Definitely now with seven teams being able to make the playoffs, I could definitely see all four in the playoffs. It's tough for me to not say Seattle's going to win the division. I know they just lost Arizona, but it's tough for me to say that Seattle won't win at least 13 games and probably get that top seed or number two seed in the NFC. I mean, Seattle, Russell Wilson had three picks on Monday night, and it was you know his first three-interception game in a long time. So Wilson really did not play great by Russell Wilson's standards. And still, with Wilson having three picks, Arizona beat him in overtime. So if Russell Wilson plays a flawless game, they maul Arizona. So I'm going to go with Seattle. They've got to make some, some uh, changes on defense. But you just got Carlos Dunlap. I'm going to go with Seattle wins that division. But you know what the thing is, a team like Arizona. Arizona, we haven't seen Arizona in a while with you know, an up-and-coming defense. You have Kyler Murray now with DeAndre Hopkins, who's the best receiver in football. you got Chase Edmonds bursting onto the scene. I mean, this is a really, really tough offense to stop because football has really transitioned now into a mobile, running quarterback type of game. And Kyler, arguably, is, one of the, be- is, is the best running quarterback in the league. And I know Lamar Jackson plays in the league, too. But I think I might take Kyler Murray. I mean, this offense is really tough to stop right up there with Seattle's and... Now, you know, Arizona has a decent defense with Buda Baker, and you got playmakers. But I'm going to say that Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll in Seattle ultimately end up winning the division. But I would not be surprised at all if four teams got in. Jack, I, I don't think you can go wrong with your Seattle prediction, but I think I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to make a uh, different prediction here. I think Arizona is going to win the division. I think Kyler Murray is having a phenomenal season. I think they just made a big statement win um, home against Seattle. And I think one of this one statistic, which I really think is very t- one stat, which I think is very telling of a team's success, is uh, point differential. And if you look at the current NFL leaders or the team leaders rather in point differential, the top you have the top four are Tampa Bay, Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh, followed by Arizona. Um, you know, those top four teams are probably the four best teams in the league now. 
So Arizona, I think they're they're better than we might think. Again, that's very, that's that's one statistic, and it only tells one piece of the story. Um, but I think I think Arizona is one of the more underrated teams this year. I love you know Buda, Buda Baker, one of the best defensive you know young players in the league. Kyler Murray, as I mentioned, um, this is this is a team that you know I I think I've said this before. Arizona can go deep into the playoffs, and I think they'll be one of the real shockers. Really, that, you know, I would not be surprised at all if they won the division again. They are a good team. They have a lot of talent. They're tough to stop. But they did lose to the Lions. And they also needed three picks from Russell Wilson to win a game in overtime. And Wilson's not going to throw three picks often. So for me to put them over Seattle right now is a bit of a stretch. But yeah, I could definitely see them as a playoff team, no doubt. I think it's got to be Seattle. And guys, actually one point I want to talk about is one of the worst teams in football this year. The New England Patriots. Who thought I would have said that? Anyways, sources say that New England is listening on almost anyone. What do you think you do from this point if if you're the Patriots? Do you start to rebuild? Do you get rid of Belichick? What's what's the next move? Man. Man, the Patriots. One of the best dynasties, you know, in sports history. It's and over. Jordan, I know, yeah, I know. Jordan, I know they're off to a tough start, two and four. I know they were off to a tough start, and you know, I think twenty fourteen as well, probably one or two other years. I think you really got to consider, a, you know, a full on rebuild in in Foxborough. They've got more than they can ask for in twenty years of a absolute dynasty, six Super Bowls, I think nine Super Bowl appearances. What do you do with Belichick? I mean, he's he's been at the helm for years. Do you move on to a younger coach? You know and kind of start the rebuild now, or do you play out the season? Do you, do you, you know, wait till the Pats go 8-8, eight and eight, you know, 9-7, and seven, and then, you know, start the rebuild next year? And then what about Cam Newton? You know, obviously, he's still a great quarterback, but then you really got to evaluate, you got to evaluate your backups. You got um, Jared Stidham, you know, out of Auburn. They really haven't played him much. Is he the quarterback of the future, or do they want to look into the draft? Um, I'm sure, Jack, you could probably touch on this more, but, you know, are there any, you know, upcoming quarterbacks in the class of, the NFL draft class of 2021 that the Patriots might consider looking at, or do they, do they you know, go with their bad, their current uh, team of backups? Well, I'm, I'm going to hold off right now if I'm New England. I'm not going to hit the panic button yet. New England has, they've, they've had their facilities shut down for COVID reasons. They, they've missed, they've only had some weeks where they've only had two or three days of practice. A lot of people are saying to hit the panic button, losing to Denver and losing to San Francisco. But I'm waiting to see how the season plays out. It wouldn't put it. It would not put it past me for Newton to turn things around. You know, he got the greatest coach of all time in New England to go 11 and five and make the playoffs. So I'm not going to hit the panic button yet on saying rebuild. I think saying rebuild now is crazy after going two and four. This team's missed the playoffs twice in 20 years. I think once they miss the playoffs, we can talk about a rebuild, but not until they miss it. Sure, Jack. I think that's one thing that's easy to do in the NFL. You you panic after. You know, uh, after a major loss like like what happened last week against the Forty ers but I think you're I, I kind of agree with you as well. You know, it, it's one week. Obviously, they got obliterated by the Forty ers but you know, back at it this week against division rival Buffalo. If you can put it together and you know get back close to five five hundred, I think the storyline will be instead of oh, are they rebuilding? The storyline will be oh, you know, can they? Oh, win guys, the you know who this looks bad for right now if they can't turn it around. Which again, I I think they will turn it around. I think Cam will play better. He's played the worst he's going to possibly play these last couple of weeks. But is uh, is Bill Belichick? You know, if you have Tom Brady now down in Tampa Bay, as as the NFC favorite probably, and you have, and now you're in New England without Tom Brady, and you're two and four, 
this is a bad look on Belichick. You know, if New England finishes the season without making the playoffs, it'll be, it'll be the third time in the last 20 years. The last time since, or first time since 2008, they haven't made the playoffs. That Belichick versus Brady debate, you know, who, who, who led to more success in New England, Belichick or Brady? If New England misses the playoffs that year, this year, that's over. Uh, absolutely, and I think that that leads to one more question. And then again, I think we're going to move on to some college football talk. But say the Patriots dynasty does collapse this year and Buffalo claims the title, does Buffalo have the team to claim this division for years to come? Or do you think it's going to be kind of like the NFC East where there's been no repeat champion? Do you think some years the Dolphins will come out? Maybe the Jets will you know, get better one of these years? Or do you think the Bills are going to form a, kind of a mini di- division dynasty? The Jets will be in the basement for a while. I don't care if you draft Trevor Lawrence. You have so many issues there. Miami's interesting. It all depends on Tua. I love Buffalo for a long time. Yeah, you have a 24-year-old gunslinger who's proved himself in Josh Allen. You have Stephon Diggs, who's, who's the best route runner in football. I mean, Diggs is the only receiver in the league, maybe one of the only two receivers outside of Keenan Allen, who can break a defender's ankles at the top of his route. I mean, not many people can guard Stephon Diggs. You have your deep ball threat in John Brown. You have Cole Beasley, who's the best third-down receiver I've ever seen. And you have a top-end defense led by Tremaine Edmonds. You're one of the best corners in the league in Tredavious White. Yeah, this Buffalo team is going to be a very hard team to beat in this division for a while. And if New England can't turn things around and if Tua doesn't pan out, this is definitely a dynasty we're going to see with Buffalo, led by uh, Josh Allen under center out of Wyoming. I love this kid. For sure, Jack. I I really have to agree with that assessment. I think Buffalo is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the AFC. And, Man, those Buffalo Bills fans, they've they've been waiting for a Super Bowl ever since, you know, their four consecutive Super Bowl losses. I'm not saying it'll happen now or even next year, but don't be surprised if sometime in the next, you know, few years if Buffalo comes out on top. I love I love what they're doing up there in Orchard Park, and this is going to be a fun team to watch for a while. I wouldn't quite put them up there yet with Kansas City or the Steelers. Oh, no, no, definitely not. But I think, you know, in due time, in you know a few years, I think when Josh really Allen's twenty seven, they could be the best team in football. Yeah, absolutely. And now I'm I'm not I'm not counting out. I know this sounds crazy, but obviously you got the Patriots, who you can never count out. I mean they're two and four. Stop hitting the panic button yet. But also the 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 Miami Dolphins. I mean guys, if Tua if Tua Tagovailoa can can be what Miami wants him to be, Miami's going to be a good team for a while. You have a young little a young little trio of receivers with Devontae Parker. And Preston Williams. You got a good run game now with Miles Gaskin, and you got you got the best corners in football with Xavier uh, Howard, Byron Jones. This is an up and coming team in Miami. But again, the fact that Josh Allen is twenty three, you got Stephon Diggs, and you got the one of the top five defense in football. Yeah, Buffalo is going to be very very tough in that division for a long time. Man, and again, and th- this is kind of transitioning into our uh, topic about college football, but it always amazes me when you see a, a guy like Josh Allen starring the NFL, you know, a high draft pick, how he how he ends up at a school like Wyoming. Um, you know, I know they're they're a division one, you know, FBS school, but they're no, you know, Ohio State, Alabama, we all know. It's how how do these guys, you know, who end up you know, also also Carson Wentz, you know, goes to North Dakota State. It's crazy to see these guys, you know, that are NFL stars, how they're going to these mid major schools and, you know, finding success and at at the professional level. At that level. point you got you got a credit them obviously, and you got to credit the scouting. I'm looking at the rankings right now. Um, but out of all the teams, out of all the teams that are currently ranked outside of the top ten, which one do you think best has the chance to make a surprise run into the playoffs, or do you think 
none of those teams are even going to be in contention. Oh, no, outside the top ten right now, no, I'm not, I'm not even looking outside the top ten. I don't think they have any much of a shot. Um, now you look at a team like Wisconsin, who's number nine right now, who could. But in my eyes, this is how it's going to go down. Alabama will win the SEC. You know, someone will win that Georgia-Florida game. And then Bama beats Georgia or Florida in the SEC championship, wipes out the rest of the SEC. Clemson will, probably, will win the ACC for sure. Yeah, because the only reason I actually mentioned that is I was looking at the rankings and you see a team like Oregon, and I think I also mentioned this on week one. You know, they, they currently have not played a game. If they go 7-0 and you know, and they, and they dominate, you know, whoever they're playing, uh, Washington, Arizona, et cetera, you think there's no shot of them making it? Oh, no, outside the top 10 right now, no. I don't think many teams have a shot who are outside the top 10 right now. An interesting team who could right now sits at number 9, Wisconsin. I know they just had a uh, – their, their game was canceled this week. Hopefully their season – continues with a, enough games played to, you know, for consideration. But if a team like Wisconsin plays the Big Ten championship, they go undefeated throughout the season and loses a close one later, later on in the year to Ohio State in the Big Ten championship, Wisconsin could probably get in. But I'm looking right now that you, I, Alabama's going to take care of the SEC, meaning Georgia and Florida will both be done. Clemson, it, it gets interesting with Clemson because, you know, if Lawrence is out for that Notre Dame game and Notre Dame can get the job done, against Clemson and their backup quarterback, Ukulele. He, he's played some fourth quarter so far, but it hasn't really looked super impressive yet. Notre Dame with that good defense can get the job done there. And if Notre Dame beats them in a couple weeks and then Clemson gets them back in the ACC championship game, both those guys are in, Clemson and Notre Dame. However, if Clemson handles Notre Dame twice, Notre Dame's out, Clemson would be in. Alabama, Ohio State, and then if Wisconsin loses close, you know, one loss, Wisconsin, loses close to Ohio State later on in the, in the champion, Big Ten Championship, Wisconsin could get in. I mean, Pac-12's out. Oregon with six regular season games doesn't have much of a shot. Jack, and I, I got to say, because I just pulled up their schedule here on ESPN, and I, um, man, you're right. I thought they were playing seven games. They're not playing six games. They're playing Stanford, Washington State, UCLA, Oregon State, Cal, and Washington. I mean... That, that that that's not much of a schedule at all. Wow. No, it would be very slim for Oregon. I think a, a six game sample size for a team like Oregon this year in the Pac twelve, you know, playing teams like UCLA and Washington State and Arizona State, it's just too much of a cream puff schedule. And it, it's you know, it's it's different. You can argue the same thing for a team like Ohio State because they have a shortened schedule too, but it's not as short. I think six games is 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 very short. And also, you got Ohio State playing teams. You know, this week they got a ranked Penn State, and later later down the road they got Michigan, who will be ranked in the top fifteen. You probably play Wisconsin in the, in the Big Ten championship. You have competition, and you have Justin Fields, so you have that ratings factor too. People are going to want to watch Ohio State, Oregon. That's not the case. If you had Justin Herbert, still I'd say potentially, but Oregon, uh, no, a lot would have to happen for for Oregon to have a shot coming out of a week Pac-12 with a six-game schedule. Yeah, but um, I – so I kind of mentioned this last week, and again, no, it's super early. No, the playoffs aren't for, you know, another month or so, over a month. But if you had to pick a team, and, you know, I guess there's only maybe two or three contenders, who do you think is going to win it all? Do you think it's going to ultimately – do you think it will be Clemson, maybe Alabama? Or do you think someone like like one of the one of the, one of your sleepers, like Oklahoma State – Cincinnati maybe or Georgia do you think they can you know pull off the you know the upset three teams have a shot to win it all Alabama Clemson or Ohio State I don't see anybody else winning at all 
I can see some scenarios where certain teams maybe make the playoff. But when it comes to winning it all, I, you know, I, I know I, I said earlier I, I bet on Cincy, but that was just kind of more, more to, to have fun and root for maybe some sort of miracle. Uh, but winning it all, I'm, I'm not going to take Clemson like the majority of, of the world is going to do. I'm taking Alabama to win it all this year. You look at Alabama, this is the best offense that they've had in a long time. And look at who Alabama has had on offense in the past. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper, Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, TJ Yeldon. We can go on and on about who Alabama has had. You know, A.J. McCarron, Tua, a bunch of stars. But this is the best offense that we've seen in a while, and that's very scary. And I mean, I know you just lost Jaden Waddle for the year, but I don't really think you need him. I mean, you, you still have, you have John Mechie, and you have Najee Harris in the backfield, who's a little, a little Derrick Henry-esque. You still have Devontae Smith. I think Mac Jones is a better, you know, Alabama system quarterback than Tua. I mean, this offense is very scary, and I'm usually more for defense wins games. That's not the case this year. What, what I saw Alabama do to Georgia, who has the best defense in America, have 600 total yards and score 41 points, I don't think anybody can stop Alabama. I'm taking them to beat Clemson. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. And I think, you know, I think it's, like I said on episode one, I think it's going to come down to Bama against Clemson again. But, man, something something about this Clemson team is Trevor Lawrence is going to be the runaway Heisman victory. I know he's out for a week or two, but he's one of the best, you know, best quarterbacks we've seen in, in a while. And I, and I know people say, oh, the ACC is not as good as the SEC. And I get that it's true, but Clemson, if Clemson was in the SEC, I think they would dominate there as well. This is one of the the more recent developing rivalries in college football, you know, Bama and Clemson. And I think Clemson's, you know, really going to pull it out here. Look, guys, I think this is one of the best Clemson offenses we've seen in recent history. I really think future Jets quarterback Trevor Lawrence is going to be a national champion when it's all said and done. Yeah, it is It is the best Clemson offense that we've seen in, in some years, but not by far. Not by far at all. I mean, and this team also really doesn't have a Clemson-esque defense. I wouldn't say it's the best Clemson team we've seen in recent memory. I and mean, we've seen much better defenses in the past. I mean, this I mean, Clemson yeah, no team is very beatable. And they, they, they've, had, they've had Deshaun Watson. They've had DeAndre Hopkins. They've had wow. Sammy Watkins. They've had C.J. Spiller, and they've had Deshaun Watson, for God's sakes, who can, you can argue was better than Trevor Lawrence while at Clemson. Probably not, but you can argue it. I mean, Clemson has had really good offenses who have been beat before, and those teams have had better defenses as well as this Clemson team. So, yeah, this Clemson team, it probably is the best offense we've seen from Clemson and the Dabo Sweeney coach Clemson team in a while, but not the best Clemson team we've seen in recent memory, in my opinion. And I, I think that they're beatable. Very good, but beatable. And I, I think Bama's offense, you know, you talk about Clemson's offense, Jordan, but Bama's is three times better. I, 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 I'm taking Alabama to win the championship this year and plus 400, too, now with Waddle out. Sounds like a juicy bet. Sure. Jack, I think, we just, I think uh, it's about time we should continue. I know it's only week two of the podcast, but we should continue the tradition of doing Jack's Saturday selections. Um, I know you... I know, I, I know you have a couple games that you had highlighted this week um, for prospective betters. Um, so, Jack, take it away. What are your picks for this Saturday? All right, guys. Well, normally I, uh, I have a slew of picks I like to give. But this weekend, only two. I have one college and one NFL. I'll start in the NFL. I love the Green Bay Packers this week, guys, minus five and a half at home against the Minnesota Vikings. 
Minnesota's number one cornerback this week is the rookie out of TCU, Jeff Gladney. And their number two cornerback was, was signed, I believe, off the Bengals practice squad. And this Minnesota team right now is beat up. They're reeling. They really don't look good at all. I think Aaron Rodgers, his Super Bowl contender Packers, will, will come into this game and Rodgers will throw six touchdowns. Packers will score 40-something points and beat Minnesota pretty big. At Lambeau, I like Green Bay minus five and a half in this one. And over to the college side of the ball. I took them last week. I'll take them again. Again, the most underappreciated team to me right now in America, Oklahoma State, number six in the country, undefeated. You Heisman candidate, Chuba Hubbard, a good defense. You're playing a banged-up Texas team who just lost, who lost to a one-and-three TCU. You know, this Texas secondary is injured. They, they really don't have any defense. I think Oklahoma State exploits them and plays well at home in front of what will be a decent quarter-capacity crowd down there in Stillwater. I think Oklahoma State gets the job done on this one, minus two and a half against Texas. So uh, there it is. I like Oklahoma State, and I like the Packers. Jack, we always love hearing your predictions, and I think um, I just got to say it. I think last week in the NFL, unfortunately, you went one and two. You had the Bills and the Pats both covering. Pats got blown out. Bills, you know, Bills... Hey, it happens. Bills almost won, but uh, but Green Bay, that might have been the lock of the century. Three and a half points over the Houston Texans. Yeah, look, you know what happens. I mean, Buffalo, they were in the red zone, what, six times and scored, had six field goals. If they scored two touchdowns, they cover easily. So it happens. Uh, Cam Newton let me down. He's been playing horribly. And, uh, yeah, Green Bay, I, I mean, I loved Green Bay last week, and I, I'm taking them again this week. I mean, they look on fire. Great offense, tough to stop, Hall of Fame quarterback. And I don't think Minnesota, who, who they've just had, you know, both starting corners ruled out for this week. Rodgers and Devontae Adams are going to abuse this secondary. I love Green Bay again. Sorry, I was looking at the NFL spreads. Um, actually, one game that I wanted to highlight as, you know, probably my lock of the week is a primetime matchup between Seattle and San Francisco um, I love Seattle minus three. Anyway, Jack, I want to highlight one NFL lock that I have this week um, for those betters out there. I love Seattle minus three at home against the 49ers. Seattle coming off a loss, going to be extra motivated. I think even if they didn't lose, I think they would have made this a blowout game. They're going to want to show that this is their division to lose. Seattle by you know at least a touchdown, but the fact that the line is only three is you know kind of laughable to me. Seattle always plays well at home. I know there's, you know, no one in attendance, which kind of creates the 12th man atmosphere. Doesn't matter here. Seahawks by a million. Take the points, or rather, take take the minus three. Go Seahawks. Yes, Alex, I like that. It's actually minus two and a half now uh, for Seattle at home against San Francisco. And San Fran, they've had to fly back and forth across the country these last two weeks. It'll take some wear and tear on you. Seattle's going to be hungry off that devastating loss to Arizona, I mean, devastating to say the least. Seattle, you know, they were trailing for zero minutes and zero seconds total and lost the game on the game-winning field goal in overtime. A game Russ threw three picks. I think Russ bounces back. He has an amazing day. And I do like Seattle at home at CenturyLink Field to beat San Fran. Um, anyway, Jack, I think that as we've seen in the year 2020, whether it's college football or the NFL, there's going to be postponements and there's going to be players that get sick that we don't foresee. So maybe something happens and Cincinnati makes the playoffs, whether it's because of COVID postponements or because they end up just dominating their conference. 
I respect you for the bow pick, and you know, just gotta see what happens. Yeah, fingers crossed, Alex. Hopefully, we uh we can cash out this weekend and hit our bets. Hopefully, uh, a little bit of luck's on our side as well, because you know we do definitely do need a little bit of that. And one more little piece of advice for the betters who listen to our um, Touch Them All podcast here. You know, Jordan and Alex, I love co-hosting this show with you, and I know you guys have a respect for my level of knowledge when it comes to college football and the NFL. I said earlier on in the show, Alabama to win the championship, plus 400. Everybody's saying Clemson. Bowen just lost Jalen Waddle. We're scaring people away. The odds have gone a little worse. But this is a Bama team that had 600 total yards of offense on Georgia, who's the best defense in the country. This offense will be able to win a shootout against anybody. You know, if it's a high-scoring game, I'm taking Alabama. I don't think they can be stopped by anyone. I think it, it simply comes down to, in a, you know, an eventual championship game, Alabama-Clemson. Yeah, Clemson's offense is great too, but I think that Alabama will stop Clemson more than Clemson can stop Alabama. And ultimately, I think Bama would, would end up getting the job done in an eventual championship game against Clemson. I just think that they're, I mean, they, they've scored over 30 points in their last 15 games, dating back to last season. And I, Mac Jones, like I said earlier, I believe, in this system is even better than Tua. This is a very, very, very scary NFL-like offense. Roll with Alabama plus 400. You know, not with my silly uh, Cincinnati plus 20,000 pick. To get to the playoffs, it gets interesting, but Clemson or Bama would probably beat them by 40. But in all seriousness, Alabama plus 400 future bet to win the national championship. Mark it down. Anyway, guys, it's been great. You know, obviously, you know, I love our discussion about the World Series. Huge matchups this week in the NFL, you know, highlighted by that Steelers-Ravens game. And then, you know, with the breaking news tonight, you know, with Trevor Lawrence and Clemson and kind of really... Um, got us talking about um, what's the future of the college football season um, for the rest of this fall and winter. Um, but uh, anyway, guys, you know any other you know any other points we missed out on or? Um... I think we should congratulate Khabib on his retirement and his incredible, incredible career. Yes, Jordan. I actually want to make a quick comment there because I that was actually the first UFC fight I have ever watched. And, he picked a good one. Man, he is an impressive. He 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 is extremely impressive. I saw him. Uh, you know, I excuse me. I I I don't remember the name of his opponent, but he took him out with that triangle. That was super impressive. I'd love impressive. to see him and and I'd love to see him and McGregor get in the ring one more time and see what happens. But you know, he said that uh, he's accomplished what he wanted to as a fighter, and with the passing of his dad, he just can't go on anymore. And obviously, I respect it, and, you know, he he's one of the GOATs. Absolutely, Jordan. And I'm saying that as someone who's watched UFC for exactly about 20 minutes of my life, but I think I'm going to you know, start watching it maybe a little bit more often because that, that fight was just, you know, really incredible. Or or at least for Khabib was. Anyway, guys, I think that just about wraps it up for episode two of the Touch Em All podcast. This has been great, you know, being here once again, and thank you for tuning in. Once again, my name is Alex, along with my co-hosts, Jordan and Jack, and we will make sure to be back here next week. Um, as always, to talk more sports. This, um, thank you for tuning in. As Jordan mentioned earlier, we're on Spotify. We're on Apple Music. We're on many different platforms. Make sure to check us out. Share on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Share with share with your friends, and we're we're really trying to you know make this uh, podcast um, promoted to uh, many different people around the globe. Um, so we hope you know you can share uh, share our podcast with your friends and family, and we hope to see you back next time.
Yeah, absolutely. And guys, don't forget, we actually just started a brand new Instagram account. It's called Touch M All Sports Podcast with underscores in between each. So be sure to give us a follow on Instagram. Like I said, like Alex said, we can be streamed pretty much anywhere. So thank you for uh, listening. And I guess till next week, that, that about does it. Thank you, guys. And, and like Jordan said, we're really trying to promote this podcast. So make sure to share with your friends and family. And we, re- we greatly appreciate it. Anyway, guys, we'll see you next week. And this is Alex signing off.